Hear what the Apollo 11 moon landing taught us. The entire mission was a series of problems and challenges and mysteries. What it's like to explore Pluto and beyond. This era we're living in, this is where Star Trek begins. And sightsee the Earth from the International Space Station. It's magnificent, and it, it makes me laugh and smile every time what the world shows me. On the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday afternoon at 2. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I love dessert and homemade pie. I delight in walking my local farmer's market, picking out the juiciest fruit and sweetest, or even better yet, the most tart sour cherries for my pie. I'm a very spontaneous pie maker, but it usually involves friends gathering around the kitchen table, great conversation, laughter. I think of summers too, warm summer nights and the fruit growing on the trees. I think a Santa Rosa plum and white nectarine pie is definitely worth the calories and the awes from my guests. I'm no wizard with the crust, and my pie usually looks a bit unbalanced and quirky. Not at all like my friend Jill's or David's pies. David, in fact, just emailed me a photograph of what he's calling the perfect apple pie that he just baked. And it is gorgeous. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy. Uh, I remember picking apples at my great-grandmother's house um, in Jeffersonville, New York. She had uh, a couple of apple trees, and we used to pick these little wormy apples, and we'd cut through them for hours to get good pieces of apple so that we could bake apple pies. So apple pie is the best memory for me. I like pie. I'm a pie eater. I also like funeral pie, which is made from raisins. I love that, too. Uh, most popular are blueberry, strawberry rhubarb, apple, peach, pear, and pecan. <laughs> I like my own pies. Um, apple, pumpkin, pecan. I always watch my mom and my grandmother. My favorite pie is a pear cranberry. Grape pie. It's a western New York thing. It's a, a Finger Lakes thing where, you know, all the grapes grow. All the farm stands sell grape pie in the fall. You Have you ever had one? I made my first strawberry rhubarb pie this summer. I discovered rhubarb up here. And bumbleberry pie is very good. It's blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, all mixed up together with blueberries. I don't know if I can uh, explain it right or not, but my mom makes pies all the time. Northern Spies are the best apple to make a pie out of. They're an old-fashioned apple, and they hold their shape when you cook them and they're very hard to find. I bet we sell more pies to younger people who haven't made pies than people who have always made their own. Then you really don't want anybody else's pie but your own. Now for ten years My guest is journalist Pascal Le Draulac. She's the restaurant critic for the New York Daily News. We'll be talking about her book, American Pie, Slices of Life and Pie from America's Back Roads, Perennial. So I am wondering if you could begin by telling us how this book, uh, your idea for the book, began. 
Okay, well, that's simple enough. Actually, I had no idea this was going to become a book <laughs> when the whole idea came about. I was living in San Francisco at the time, and I was offered a job in New York, and I knew that I absolutely wanted to drive across country into my new life in New York. I did not want to fly for several reasons, but, but mainly um, I grew up, uh, even though I was raised in California, my parents are both French, and I was raised in a very, very traditional French household. And we would spend our summers in France, and all my relatives were in France. So I always felt like I'd been straddling two cultures my whole life. And I needed to get to know America a little bit better. And I even I was born here, but somehow I didn't feel like I fit in. So I, I thought this was a great opportunity for me to get to know America a lot better. And why do you think pie is associated with America and American culture and, you know, sayings like there's nothing as American as apple pie. Well, that's that's what I wanted to find out. I mean, when I was growing up, I used to hear that expression all the time, and I didn't know what it meant. I mean, my mother never made a pie. She was French. She made tarts. She ever baked. And I had never, I did not even have a piece of pie until I was in college, if you can believe that. Now, where were you living? <laughs> I was living in California, in L.A. You know, it wasn't something that we, my mother cooked French food at home, and I went to a French school, and my father worked in a French restaurant. I mean, it, it's really easy to just sort of <laughs> live in a vacuum if, if that's the circumstances you're in. So when I decided to make this trip, I thought to myself, what can I do to find the most quintessential slice of America? You know, if I want to take only back roads. I want to, I want to get from the east, West Coast to the East Coast by never getting on the interstate. So that was the goal. And then I thought, well, you know, it would be, I looked at the map, and there's a million, gazillion little tiny, you know, back roads to take, and I needed, I needed to pick one route, and I couldn't decide which one. So I thought, well, wouldn't it make sense if what I was looking for was the you know, the real America, a real slice of Americana, wouldn't it make sense to go looking for the most American dessert, which I knew nothing about, but which I'd always heard about was, you know, as American as apple pie. So I thought that's what I'll do. I'll drive from San Francisco to New York trying to find people who still bake pie from scratch.
People who still baked pie from scratch in America were the true, real Americans. I mean, it was the Americans who really, uh, even though the Egyptians kind of invented the concept of pie dough, throwing lard and, and flour and water together and making a paste, and, and the English are the ones who actually created the first savory pies, it was really the Americans who took the concept and, and ran with it. I mean, you know, the first pioneers on the wagon trails were using pie dough and stuffing it with anything they could get their hands on, you know, to make a meal, including bull testicles. They call that bachelor pie on the wagon trail. So anyway, I knew that there was pie in every state, and every state has its signature pie. And so if I could just get in my car and just start driving across America trying to find people who still bake pie from scratch in every state, then surely I would find that slice of America I was looking for. And And that was the goal. Well, you begin your book, actually, with a story about Dave, the bear trapper, and his huckleberry pies. From there, you really go on to explain why pie, and and the journey takes off from there. Could you tell us about your meeting with Dave and the huckleberry pies? Sure. Dave was one of those people, um, you know, when you put your feelers out and you start telling people that you're driving across America looking for pie, you'd be amazed. (laughs) How many people will come up to you and tell you, I know where you have to go. I know somebody who, my Aunt Eloise makes the most amazing pie in tiny Bernard, Iowa. Your, your purse starts filling up with little pieces of paper. This and, is what was so delightful about your book is this spontaneity. You yeah. would backtrack if you heard about somebody well, who made a great pie and, and really, you know, I'd love to hear the story about you laying out the map. Well, yeah, well, I'll... That's what I did, is I laid out the map on, on my kitchen table before I set out and uh, picked a few towns that I knew I just had to hit on a pie quest, and one of them was Pie Town, New Mexico. But like Dave the Bear Trapper was a perfect example of me being at a dinner party or, you know, and somebody saying, you know, I heard about this great pie baker in Montana. He lives in this tiny town called Choteau, um, and I don't know if he's still there, but I heard that he used to make this incredible huckleberry pie. So this is how I heard about Dave the Bear Trapper, and 
because I was trying to find people who were pretty representative of their state and the places where they live so that I could get that real flavor of America that I was looking for, this was perfect. Wow, a Montana state bear trapper who makes pie. How perfect could that be? So I ended up in Livingston, Montana, and I cracked open the phone book at the, at the hotel and found his number and called him one morning, and, and uh, he was quite surprised to hear from a, you know, food rider driving across America. I would heard about him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was a typical example of a story of just, a, you know, serendipitous tip on a, a great pie baker that led to an incredible story that really spoke to the power of pie, um, which is really what the book is about ultimately. But basically I show up in this guy, he says, you know, on the phone, well, how'd you find me? And I said, well, I hear you make this incredible pie. And he, he says, damn right. And I said, well, can I come and visit and we can talk about it? We can talk about how you make pie. And he said, well, you know, he was kind of reluctant at first, but finally I coaxed him into it. And so I showed up at his house at nine o'clock at night and the man lives with eight or nine golden retrievers. We sat down in his living room and I sat down in this chair and I say, so how did you start baking pie? And he tells me the story about, you know, he points to the chair that I'm sitting in and says, you know, see that chair you're sitting in? And I say, yeah. And he says, well, you know, 20 years ago, I was a serious, serious alcoholic, and I had plunged to the depths of my alcoholism, and I was so down that I had decided I was going to kill myself, and I was sitting in that chair with a gun in my lap and was going to do it, and fortunately, I passed out, and when I woke up, the gun was still in my lap, and I realized that I'd been given a second chance and that I needed to just sober up or, or end it right there in there and I decided to sober up and walked into the kitchen and grabbed a rolling pin and started making pie dough and he made a huckleberry pie and you know because he's a bear trapper he's around huckleberries all the time so he, he had some in his fridge and apparently that's what the grizzlies love to eat absolutely yeah that's what they they uh, they, they hoard up on before the winter the, the hibernation so you really it's tricky gathering huckleberries and it's quite a you know, very lucrative business in Montana he started making pies night after night and night after night to keep away from the bars and so that, you know, he would never have his mind on drinking. And the eight dogs would just sit in the kitchen and watch him bake. And he became this amazing baker and would sell pies to the people in town. And he's still sober. It's been 20 years. He's an amazing baker. And his mom taught him how to bake pie. And, you know, what a great story about, you know, that to me, that's redemption pie. And I have a couple of those in the book. Yes, of the transformative aspects exactly. of creating these pies. And also, you describe such an unusual variety of pies that people have created. Yeah. In Wisconsin, I stumbled on this whole culture of Belgian immigrants. I didn't even know that there was a whole sub community, you know, of <laughs> mm. Belgians living in Wisconsin in this tiny county, and they make this very strange pie called uh, Belgian prune pie, which is made with mashed potatoes in the crust and has um, cottage cheese in the filling. It tastes more like a Danish than a pie, but, mm. you know, I, I stumbled on this little old lady, Emily Gallette, who was, I believe, 93 at the time, and who specializes in these pies, and that was one of the more unusual ones. Because, of course, there's the, the pecan pie and the banana cream pie. And it seemed like you ended up trying a lot of banana cream pies in the early stages of your journey. Yeah, that was a little, yeah. In the South, um, people have a thing for banana cream and uh, coconut cream. The men and coconut cream. I don't know what it is in this country, but there's this definitely <laughs> attraction. The men like it? Oh, my goodness. Coconut cream. I mean, men's eyes would just completely light up. Of course, men have a whole interesting relationship with pie. 
Oh, by Jove and by Jehovah, you have set my heart aflame. And to you, you Casanova, my reactions are the same. I would sing the tender verses, but the flair, alas, I lack. I'll go on, try to versify, and I'll versify back. Well, let me see now, cherry pies ought to be you. Autumn skies ought to be you. Yeah, could you talk about that? <laughs> I call pie the, the Madonna whore of the dessert world. It's just, <laughs> there's something about pie that is very, at the same time, very maternal, you know, as mom baking apple pie, and then also very sensuous, something about the crust, something about making dough that is incredibly um, sensuous. And the way men would talk about pie, I mean, their eyes would just completely twinkle and light up, and, you know, they'd remember their mama, but then they'd also remember, like, this incredible pie-eating experience that was, you know, very lusty. So I met this one guy in the South who used to, he, he was actually from the East Coast originally and had moved to the South, and part of the reason was because he just loved to hear women say pa the way they do in the South, and he would just go to cafes and order pa just so he could hear the waitress say it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find that mostly women were making the pies? Mostly, yes, uh, and mostly older women, which, um, which was kind of sad. I mean, I realized um, this idea, which originated just as a way to get me from point A to point B, became a book because I realized, my God, well, there's all these elderly women out there who are in their 80s and 90s, and they have been baking pies their whole lives, and they've never written anything down. And when they die, they're going to take their recipes and their rolling pins with them. And, you know, there is an entire generation of Americans who have not watched their mothers or grandmothers bake pie and have no clue how to do it and are terrified by crust. And so the book was really, I realized it, there was just a need to sort of get some of these recipes down and, and to make people work through that fear of, of doing, you know, of making a crust from scratch. Pascal, what is your favorite pie? I like the fruit pies, I have to say. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the big cream or the big meringues, but I admire how beautiful they are and how much work they are because I have made them. I think that I have to say from a flavor standpoint, I really liked uh, a huckleberry peach pie I had in uh, Montana. And then the other one that was absolutely my first favorite was the apple blueberry pie I had in Natchez, Mississippi, because mainly that's, that one came with a really sweet story. It's hard for me to separate in the book the great pies from the great stories. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Dave's story, the bear trapper, was such an incredible story. So when I finally baked his pie, the recipe he gave me, all mm -hmm. I could think about was that poor man sitting in his chair and contemplating taking his life and, and hearing how he came out of that and how pies through that. And yes, and it's so interesting that it was pies. Yeah. That that did that. Would you share with us the story? The Doris Kemp story? Yes. Sure. That uh, would be great if you could read a section from your book for us. Okay, I'll read. This is in a chapter called Mississippi Mammies, about two separate women I met in Mississippi who made pie. And Doris is the one I just mentioned who made the apple blueberry. Doris Kemp was about seven years old when she got caught stealing an egg custard pie from her aunt's windowsill. It was my cousin who put me up to it. We ate the whole thing to hide the evidence, she remembers. Children don't get caught stealing pies anymore because there are no pies left on the sill to steal. That's why they line up at Mammy's Cupboard on Saturday, busy working people all longing for a slice of homemade pie, a slice of remember when, a slice of slow. The sky-high cafe, truly shaped like a slim-waisted Aunt Jemima, is hard to miss. 
Mammy's head, adorned with hoop earrings and a knotted headscarf, towers above the oaks themselves draped with scarves of Spanish moss. The restaurant wasn't open yet, so we peeked through the front door and saw Doris, her white hair pinned in a loose bun, bringing her pies out of the kitchen one at a time until there were about 15 on display. She carried each one with two hands and carefully placed it on a three-tier stand. Sometimes she'd take a step back to admire her handiwork. The coquettish tilt to her head suggested she was pleased, and I felt guilty catching her in this moment of self-admiration. The place filled up the moment Doris opened the door. First in line, we scored a table right next to the pies. We couldn't believe how many people ordered their pies at the same time as their lunch. They didn't want Doris to run out of their favorites, they told the waitress. Doris's pies were hands down the prettiest we'd seen so far. So we agreed to break our share one slice rule just this once. Banana caramel sounded too sweet for this heat. Craving fruit, we both picked blueberry apple. Some of my married friends tell me that they knew the moment they met their husbands that these were the men they were going to marry. I wouldn't know, but I can tell you that I looked down at that buckling slice of apple blueberry pointed directly at my heart, and I knew it was going to be the pie against which all others would be judged. The tawny crust had a strong backbone but a tender touch. My fork slid through the filling but met only a touch of resistance at bottom crust, itself firm but pliable. The tart apples were rounded out by sweet, plump berries that managed to stay whole and independent in mind and in flavor. Doris had been gentle with the sugar, letting nature work its chemistry. I took a bite, and it was one of those rare moments where substance and style come together with the grace of synchronized swimmers. It tasted deeply familiar and right. I shut my eyes to steal in the flavor and the feeling. You like it then, said a pleased Doris, pulling up a chair at our table. We asked how she had come upon this unlikely combination, and that's when she told us about her late husband who had died of cancer a few years earlier. He started planting blueberry bushes right after the diagnosis, she said, to keep his mind off how sick he was. He died before he got to see his blueberry bushes bear fruit, and when she opened the cafe, she promised herself that she would have at least one special blueberry item on the menu each day in his memory. Hence, the tart meat sweet blueberry lemonade, which he serves in glass mason jars. One morning, she was making an apple pie and ran out of apples. It was only natural that she should grab for some blueberries to fill it out, meeting two challenges with one batch of berries. I tasted it and thought it was a real good combination, so I kept on making it, she said. People love it. We asked her what the secret is to making pie. Practice, 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 she said. When making the dough, don't stretch it. Don't work it too hard. Be gentle. That's the big trick. Be gentle. Although most people like her meringues, Doris admits she's just a big show-off when it comes to getting her meringue as tall as a ship's prow. She has a soft spot for her fruit pies, especially blueberry. Next to mashed potatoes and gravy, I can't think of a better comfort food than pie. Can you, she said. Doris learned to make pies from her mother, who learned to make pies from her mother. With working mothers on the run and home economics classes on the outs, who's teaching today's children to bake, she asked. It's not a judgment on working mothers, she hastened to add. Her own daughter has no time to bake with her children. It's just the state of our society. She was right. In every state so far, the pie trail had invariably led us to the kitchens of gray-haired women who feared that they were the end of the pie line. Thank you so much. The stories in your book are very moving because the pies really become symbolic of so much more, as you've already addressed, but really a lineage of these incredible women. A lot of the people we interviewed on this trip did did die in the course of me writing this. I mean, it was very... um, that 
so what I was fearing was happening, <laughs> you know, that these people were passing away. And so I, I just feel, A, very lucky to have met them and B, very lucky to have been able to, um, you know, a lot of these women were, were not, this was the one thing they were famous for, you know, and so for them to have been able to get it recorded somehow, I, I feel very lucky for mm -hmm. that. And for you and, and your girlfriend who were taking this, road trip. This was a transition as well. You were moving from the west to the east coast. You were taking a new job in New York. And also, you had a transition in the relationship with your boyfriend, yeah. Ty. <laughs> and that, about midway through the book, all of a sudden becomes a very important part of the book as you're taking this journey right? and even arrive on the east coast. And you were refer to this journey being a new beginning. Well, I mean, all road trips, hopefully, there's got to be some inner journey going on. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of driving for miles and miles on end every day if you're not doing some serious thinking? But clearly, the quest for pie, I mean, I wasn't looking for the best pie, and I wasn't looking for... What I was looking for was people who still made pie, took the time to bake pie from scratch. And I think, ultimately, what I was looking for was people who really knew how to live their lives in a very simple way. You know, I've being on a career track and really not focusing on the family side of things and settling down and all that and really concentrating on work has been really exciting. But I knew that I was craving in my own life a certain stillness. And I didn't realize it until midway through the trip that ultimately pie was such a metaphor for, like I say, a slice of slow, a way to just slow down my own life and really focus on the things that do matter. And, you know, for me, pie became sort of the symbol for the ultimate gift that you can give someone because really there's nothing, you, you can't multitask and make a pie. You know, you if you make a pie, you have to basically shut down your life for two hours. You can't be watching TV while you roll out a dough. You can't be cradling your cell phone or checking your email or doing anything like that. And I was hungering that kind of stillness in my life. And it occurred to me that what I was running away from, you know, the commitment and all that, mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of the journey, it occurred to me that um, I did find, I did have somebody in my life who wanted that, but it scared me. And, but then meeting all these incredible people on the road who had realized that those are the kinds of things that really make a life just kind of opened my eyes. And I said, you know, when I got to New York, realized, okay, maybe I am ready for this slowing down. And I won't give it all away, but <laughs> the last chapter ends with me making my first pie with a little help from Ty. So. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us. All Goodbye. Right. Goodbye. There is something about the images that pie conjures up, like love, diners, travel, and memories that makes the whole pie story interesting. I crave adventures and especially a road trip. So the story of the pie is connected to these kinds of adventures. 
Let's dream of what our next slice of pie will be. I'll take a slice of sour cherry, please. Oh, but there's sweet potato and lemon meringue, pecan pie, blueberry, blueberry blackberry. There's... What's your favorite? I started singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. I've been speaking with restaurant critic Pascal Le Draulec about her book, American Pie. I like my own pies. Oh, I love apple crumb pie. It's my favorite. Butternut squash pie is the best pie in the world. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Don McLean, American Pie, Patty Griffin, Making Pies, Frank Sinatra and Rosemary Clooney, Cherry Pies, Ought to Be You, Four Tops, I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel with assistant producer Babe Howard. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. President Trump says the case is closed. It's the greatest hoax ever in the history of our country. But Democrats are still seeking answers. Everybody wants justice. Everybody wants the president to be held accountable. Now the former special counsel will testify about his investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. I'm Tamara Keith. Join NPR for a live special coverage of Robert Mueller's testimony from NPR News. Wednesday, starting at 10 a.m. on WJFF. We have met our goal. 